Blog Talk Radio. Radio 470 AM. It is game day, people. Welcome to the most talked about game in the state of Texas. I'm already sweating like a whore in church. We're going to play fast. We're going to take what we can get, gentlemen. Do you understand me? Let's show them what we got. You This kid can move. Come on, baby! This is not just some game. You realize that. This is about tradition. It's about the spirit and keeping this town alive. That's football. That's all we got. It's going down tonight! Everybody in this damn town is telling me how to do my job. What they do need to do is they need to win. This town makes these kids into idols. I need you to leave. Can you do that for me? Okay. Welcome in to the Sunday Drive, part of the South Carolina Varsity Sports Radio Network. I'm Jim Baxter, and I am joined by Richie Altman from the Southern Sports Central Radio. Richie, how you doing? Hey, Jim. How's it going, buddy? Uh, glad to see Sunday here. Uh, get, kind of recap all the craziness from Friday and Saturday. Oh, man, there was some craziness, some upsets around the state. Uh, in fact, we had uh, one, of the, one of the coaches for one of the teams that had – Probably maybe the biggest upset in the state going to be joining us a little bit later, but um, lots of basically two weeks left in the season, and then the playoffs are going to start up, and we're going to take a look at uh, some of the teams that I think are are going to be the, the teams to watch in the playoffs, the things that the teams that I think are going to probably go deepest in the playoffs. But uh, a lot of good stuff tonight, and um, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about the polls. We'll go over the top ten polls. Uh, SC Varsity. Um, top 10 polls for every classification was released today, um, along with our football in the Midlands polls. We have 39 teams in the Midlands, and we do a separate poll for them. But uh, anyway, how about the action down in the lower country? I know, I know you had a, a Friday night action uh, down there working with Somerville and, and some of the other stuff that was going on down there. Tell us about some of that low country action. Well, you know, it was kind of uh, interesting. Of course, I called the game on uh, ESPN for Somerville every Friday night, so I got a chance to see, you know, Somerville finally put together, I would say, three facets of the game with uh, offense, defense, and special teams. So you kind of see that coming together against a team trying to build some foundation over at West Ashley. They beat uh, West Ashley 50 to nothing in a good way to kind of go into an off weekend before they see the likes of Fort Dorchester coming in in a couple weeks. But, Talking to Fort Dorchester, they struggled a lot on, on Friday night as they were uh, hosting a team from right around the corner in Stahl. Stahl actually went into halftime, I believe, with a two-point lead. And finally, you know, you see Fort Dorchester kind of able to walk away from it. They did win, of course, uh, you know, what I think they, uh, the final was 56-30. to 30. Um, But that's nowhere near what the game looked like in the entire uh, facets of the game, and they pulled away there at the end and got a couple of scores, uh, but uh, you have to give it to that coach over there at Saul who's doing more with less. I mean, his group of guys, I believe it's about 33 guys on the roster. It, it's hard to do. The, the, the parents don't travel like you see a lot of schools, and that's got to be kind of discouraging to the kids on the field, uh, but they went in, and it's probably the closest school in diameter to geographically as well to, to that Fort Dorchester group of kids there, so uh, that one, an interesting conversation that will probably go in for the next couple of weeks before they see, you know, Somerville next week. They have Ashley Ridge. And then uh, the team that's kind of stepping up 
maybe the second best team here in the state, right under Fort Dorchester, is Goose Creek. They went out on the road and beat Wando thirty-five to ten, and never really looked back. As uh, of course they beat Berkeley the week before, and, and kind of got a little bit more supremacy by winning uh, that game Friday night on the road at Wando's. They'll see James Island next week. So that should be a win for. Uh, the guys over at Goose Creek, and they're in the driver's seat in that region, 7-5-A. So right now, you know, that one looks a little bit more of a, I would say, kind of leaning towards Goose Creek and take that one towards the end of the year. But uh, other than that, you know, I think a lot of it that we talk a lot about is Oceanside. This is a team that we don't really hear a lot about because of their dynamics. But Coach Greer talking about doing more with less, taking kids that some kids – you know, they weren't playing on other teams. They weren't starting for sure. He comes down here, and he's got a kid already hitting over 1,400 yards of rushing. He's the leading rusher in Keegan Williams. Uh, they beat the brakes off of, and I hate to use that term, but it is what it is. When you beat Phillips Simmons 70 to nothing, uh, that's impressive. Now, next week, they'll see the likes of Timberland, and uh, that one's going to be at home at Oceanside, but the winner of that one should win that region. That's going to be a 2A battle in 6-2A uh, here locally. Other than that, um, you know, everything kind of just falling in suit as far as uh, the rest of the athletics uh, concerned. Ashley Ridge had the weekend off. Nothing really happened in there. But uh, everybody's kind of got their eye on next weekend with uh, the Phillip Simmons uh, team getting taken down by Oceanside. Now Oceanside set it up for a huge matchup next week with Timberland. And, of course, can Ashley Ridge kind of sneak in next weekend and, and beat a team that's shown a little bit of weakness and vulnerability in uh, Fort Dorchester before Fort looks ahead and play Somerville. So can they catch them looking ahead, Jim? I think that's one of the questions right now going into next weekend. Our number ones for the most part in 5A are pretty much decided. No one's going to beat Dutch Fork in uh, Region 5, 5A. And then Region 4, 4A, Sumter's pretty much in the, the same boat. I think uh, if, if you look at those two teams in the Midlands, um, they are separated from each other by what I feel is a, a pretty comfortable margin for Dutch Fort, but then the separation between Sumter and the rest of the crowd in the middle is, is pretty high. So the battles up here in the two big, uh, in the two regions in the big class are going to be second place. There's going on for that. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of that, we'll go to the 5A polls right now. And in the 5A poll, I want to talk just a second about Goose Creek. I almost – had Goose Creek in the top 10. I really I pondered about putting them in the top 10. I mean, they, they're, they're playing great football right now, but the, the losses it had earlier in the season were, were probably games they should have won. And I think that hurts them uh, more than their good play right now is helping them. But in the 5A polls, what I've got is Dutch Fork at number one. I'm probably the only person in the state that's got number two, uh, Sumter. I think everyone else is or Fort Dorchester moved up there, but I've got Sumter at number two. This is a very strong defensive team. Mark Barnes has number uh, Dorman, number four, Fort Dorchester, number five, Burns, after taking a loss to Dorman the other night. And we're going to talk, talk about that in just a little bit because it's got something to do with some of the officiating we spoke about off air. Uh, number six, Clover. Um, man, Coach Lane doing a great job at Clover right now, and they're firing on all cylinders. Number seven, Carolina Forest from the beach. Number eight, Gaffney. I still think Gaffney is a threat when they get in the playoffs. Number nine, T.L. Hannah. And number 10, River Bluff. Uh, River Bluff only lost at the hands of Dutch Fork. And uh, I think that they're going to be a team to contend with at least through a couple of rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good poll. I, I agree with you. I think that when you look at it, and here's what happens. I think when we get into certain areas, we want to get those goggles on, those glasses on. 
uh, kind of like you see the Clydesdales when they come down the street. But you have to look at the big picture of things. And, you know, I'm with you. I think that's, uh, I would match up the exact poll there because while I want to put Goose Creek in, I think they need a few more wins. And, and maybe that win comes when they hit the playoffs. And there's a couple of those teams, even Somerville here and um, down here in Charleston, while they're getting a little bit better week after week, this is a, it's a team that's right now 6-2. and two. They're 3-0 and oh in the region. But you see the way they lost against Berkeley, and, and good teams have to win those games. You can't afford to lose a game when you're going in at halftime 31-13. to 13. You know, So there's the question marks there. They got beat pretty good on the road at Wando. So I, I see keeping teams like Somerville a traditional powerhouse, and you have to be careful not to live in the past. And even in college, I think we're doing that in some of our polls now, wanting to give accolades to teams that used to be good or have done good the year before, and we're not really looking at what they're doing this week at the current time. That's right. You listen, you listen to Baxter and Richie Altman on the Sunday drive. Richie, um, you, you mentioned the college. Let, we'll let everyone know that at 7 o'clock, we're going to go from 6 to 7 with the Sunday drive. And at 7 o'clock, uh, we're going to turn into the Southern Pigskin Report and talk all college football. So we'll touch on some of the stuff you just said uh, in that uh, next hour. In the uh, 4A classification, Richie, I got uh, Myrtle Beach number one. I think that's a no brand. I think everyone in the state is going to vote Myrtle. Uh, at number two, arguable. I've got Daniel at number two with South Point at number three, AC Flora number four, uh, Bell Honeypath number five, Wren at number six, Hartsville moves up to number seven. Hartsville struggled early in the season, but I think Jeff Calabrese will have them ready for the playoffs. Number eight, Wilson, who just uh, took a loss from Hartsville. Number nine, Greenville, and number ten, Ridgeview moves into the top ten after getting a big win. Uh, over Westwood this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on the 4A? Yeah, same thing here. I think Myrtle Beach is a team to beat. I mean, it, it's not like these guys don't play talent week in and week out. And this quarterback that's already signed, sealed, but yet not delivered to Myrtle Beach. I mean, you're looking at his numbers, and, and they're still high, and he's still coming out at halftime. I mean, this kid is the real deal. So, for me, it, it's going to go through Myrtle Beach. The Seahawks kind of have what they have there. Hartsville kind of resurging a little bit here at the win that they got over the weekend. And they, they won actually at a homecoming environment at Wilson. For you guys who aren't familiar with Wilson, Wilson's one of the oldest high schools uh, in the state. I mean, they've got a lot of tradition there. They've got a lot of uh, outside the area guys who have chapters all around who still pay attention to that local high school talented team over there with the Tigers. And I actually spoke to that coach last week on uh, Southern Sports Central. And if you ever have a chance to speak with him, Jim, I'm going to say this guy is poised. He understands that, you know, there's still a lot of growth happening, a lot of things that have to change inside the confines uh, of Wilson and what they do differently. Not worrying about what everybody else does, but I think Wilson's a team that we want to keep an eye on. I get that they lost over the weekend, but here's a team that going into the playoffs, that they can buy into what this culture is telling them to deal with the culture. I think you'll see some changes there, but uh, again, great poll. I like what you have there, and I would definitely marry it. I think outside these polls, outside the number 10 spot, a team that, that I'm going to mention is Brooklyn Casey. Uh, Brooklyn Casey's not in the top 10 right now. They've, they've got three losses on their record to 5A schools, all three losses to 5A schools. But one of the things that they did early in the season, Richie, was they played a lot of players. Um, they were playing a lot of the young players, trying to get them ready. Um, Coach Sharpie told me the reason they did that is because last year they kind of got caught with their pants down with no one – with any experience to come in as backup and reserves when they, you know, had some injuries and he didn't want to get in that situation this year. So he played young uh, in out of conference play. Once conference started, um, he's, uh, he's playing his best 11 on both sides of the ball, regardless of, of, of their, 
being two A starters, and um, it's it's paid off because he's unbeaten in the region and and right now really looking at a showdown with rival airport for a region championship in three uh, A. Uh, Chapman, number one. I've had Chapman number one all year. I think Chapman is the best team in 3A, and I think they're going to be very hard to beat. Number two, we got a new number two, Richie. Ainer gets the number two spot after knocking off number one, Dylan. And I say number one in, in the media polls and the coaches' polls. Uh, big win, and we're going to have Jason Allen on a little while, coach for Ainer, uh, talking to us about that win. Uh, number three, I've got Gilbert moving all the way up. Number four, Camden. Number five, Dylan drops down to number five in my polls. I think they were number two in my polls. Number six, Wade Hampton. Number seven, May River. Number eight, Chester. Number nine, Union County. And, I, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about May River because you're, you're down in that low country. You know, I kind of felt like when I looked at the lower state 3A that we had you – you got Dylan, you got Gilbert, You've got May River. You've got Wade Hampton. I felt were the top four teams. Now we have to talk about Ainer in that mix as well. The lower state 3A is going to be a gauntlet in the playoffs, if you look at that. And it's all going to be a fight, in my opinion, to see who gets to play Chapman, because I don't think there's anyone in the upstate that's going to challenge Chapman. Well, you know, you talk about Chapman. Chapman is a team I think could play some 4A teams and 5A teams and be very competitive, if not beat some of those teams along the way. Uh, this is a team that, you know, traditionally has uh, put some things together. And I spoke to a, a coach earlier today, actually. We were talking about his program. And the one thing he said, if you start looking at some of these smaller schools, the 2A, 3A, 1A schools, there's still a lot of tradition left in these towns. There's still a lot of the town shuts down. They come into the stadiums. They're not sharing the lines. They're not drawing lines as much as you see some of these bigger schools in the 5As and the 4As. So you see a lot of that opportunity there. Aner, a prime example. Aner comes in, nobody, I mean, you, you, by the way, you're the only person on Wednesday, I believe, that said that they were going to actually beat Dylan. They were going to come in, they were going to handle business, and uh, they'd be hanging out and, and celebrating Friday night all the way into the weekend, and, and they did that. So what you see there, and that's why the gauntlet's there, is because there's still the tradition. There's still that rich feeling of a Friday night lights, and it means the same in the small towns as it used to feel. You know, you don't have that in all the towns. We're lucky here in Somerville let these guys breathe, eat, and sleep it. They shut it down. We had a parade on Friday for homecoming. Uh, so everybody was in town. They shut down their businesses, went out to the streets, and, and you know, had, had the normal, you know, holiday, big party for uh, homecoming. But that doesn't happen in a lot of towns now, especially the bigger cities around the area and the bigger towns that have multiple high schools in them. Uh, so when you look at that 3A, Jim, I, I agree. I think you're going to see a lot of competitive uh, football going all the way through the playoffs. I don't even know in the lower state, though, if they have anybody that can size up anybody at Chapin either, though. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what happens in that. Um, I am I'm expecting uh, Coach Perry Parks to be calling just a minute. We're going to take a short break uh, from the Sunday drive, and um, we'll be back right after this message from our sponsors. It's calling your taste buds. You know that delicious-looking landmark, that chocolate-dipped cone in the sky located in Triangle City, West Columbia. Under it, the legendary Zesto, where folks have come from miles around the last six decades to enjoy the absolute best Zesto burgers, sandwiches, homemade slaw dogs, and hot fudge sundaes. All fast and fresh and friendly. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. till 11 p.m. ZestoWestColumbia.com. All right, you're back in to Sunday Drive, and I believe on the line from Columbia, South Carolina, and Ridgeview High School, we have got Coach Perry Parks. Coach, you there? Yeah, what's up, brother? 
Hey, man, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. How about yourself? Doing great. Uh, I've got uh, Richie Altman on here with me uh, from Southern Sports Central, and we were talking about the 5A and 4A polls and talking about how Ridgeview uh, uh, popped in at number 10 in the SC Varsity uh, top 10 polls this week. And so before before we talk, I asked you specifically to come on and talk a little bit about the um, this Columbia Metro Bowl that, that you guys do at the end of the season. But uh, real quick, I mean, you know, take your time and, and give us some of the accolades from some of your players and tell us about that big win over Westwood. Such a big rivalry. But this is – your team, uh, in my opinion, is probably the most improved team in the Midlands from week one to now. Um, what you've been able to do with the youth on the offensive side of that football, you had a young quarterback – um, continuing to mature each week, but your defense is playing lights out. And everybody, every coach I talk to about Ridgeview, they all mention that first. They got a great defense. Tell us a little bit about your football team. Yeah, Jim, the, the guys are really coming together. Um, defensively, we had a, a bunch of senior leadership on that that unit. Our our entire secondary of seniors, uh, probably highlighted by Tyson Player. You know, everybody's offering him on Twitter. I think he got three offers in the last two days or last 24 hours. Um, Colgate. Um, uh, Miami of Ohio and uh, what's the school? Air Force Academy. So he's kind of blowing up right now. He's a six-three uh, safety for us, and he can do it all. Uh, and then we got Dwight Jacobs, another our strong safety that's right there with uh, two uh, FBS offers with UT Chat and um, uh, Missouri State. Um, but our defensive line, Jim, is 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 probably the best in in the state in our classification. Uh, we got Najon Barber that came from LR. Uh, doing a great job at end, and we have uh, Patrick Jenkins and DeAndre Brown, uh, who are both three-year starters for us, uh, and then a sophomore who's uh, Clemson and Carolina have been calling on every week, Antonio Gaines. So uh, those guys have been wreaking havoc for us, and we've been able to play sound coverage. Uh, and our linebackers are just playing gap defense. We stopped listening and playing base, and uh, they're making plays for us on that side of the ball. Uh, offense has been a challenge. Uh, had a sophomore quarterback, and uh, you know, we just had to add a little bit more water to the Kool-Aid, per se, and uh, just simplify the game for him and, uh, you know, make decisions for him. A lot of uh, two-man read styles where he just has to find a flat defender. Uh, and we've been sounding our run game. Run game's been able to help the young quarterback a lot uh, down the stretch. So, you, um, you, you've got, uh, let's see, you got South Point this week, right? Yep, South, South Point oh, so and then so Lancaster to finish up the region sale. So, that's Big big game this week. I mean that that basically is going to produce the region region winner there, and um, yeah. and you guys are uh, that upstate four A is is going to be tough. A lot of good teams in the upstate um, this year, and and um, especially you know when you look at teams like the, the teams that are playing really well right now, like Daniel is playing good football right now, and BHP in the upstate, Wren in the upstate, uh, obviously South Point Ridgeview. Uh, the upstate is kind of like we were talking about lower state 3A a few minutes ago. Upstate 4A is going to be a gauntlet to get through. Yeah, it's going to be a tough a tough task. And, uh, you know, we've had success the last three years in the postseason. Uh, twice we've made it to the third round. So uh, anything can happen once you get out of our region because it will prepare you for postseason play. But uh, this year there's a lot of unknowns in that, uh, that upstate. Uh, Greer is not the team everybody thought they were. They're struggling a bit. Uh, you got Greenville emerging with Coach Porter. And like you said, Coach Tate is always going to have Wren ready to play, and uh, Daniel's got to be the top top team right now. They cut our butts earlier in the year. Hey, Coach, it's Richie Allman over here with Southern Sports Central. Uh, you've had, you've actually, I don't know if you remember, it's been a couple of years. Uh, Darnisha Allen Jackson actually, uh, her and I had you on with us 
Uh, talking about the program that you're actually currently at. Now, I'm not sure if you remember yeah. that far back or not. I, I do, man. I do. <laughs> Small world. Um, yep. Just a quick question, man. And, and I, and this is kind of my thing. And, and the one when I get you guys on here, I love uh, to talk to you guys about the culture, uh, about the, the yep. new era of, of how things are, and then how you guys are kind of limited uh, with doing certain things. You know, there are no more bull in the ring. There is, there are no yeah. more certain things that you're allowed to do. I see more guys in shells than in full pads. You know, that's concerning yeah. to me because if we're teaching these kids to go out and play the game of football, which it's not a contact sport, that would be baseball. A collision sport yeah. is what football is. And so if they're colliding yeah. on Friday nights, why are we not allowing these kids to get their bodies used to colliding during practice? Talk to me and, and everybody listening to, to how hard is it to be a coach? I mean, your hands are limited and tied to a generation that already brings their own challenges. It's, it's tough, Richie, man. I, and and I, I try to pride myself on on being firm foundation in the old school way of coaching, which is a lost art. I talked to my coach about it today in our staff meeting. It's truly a lost art. But I think that's that's what's missing from the game. You know, kids, you got to make sure they're tough. I mean, blocking, tackling, protecting the football, those are the three key factors that will never change as long as we play the game the way it is. Uh, and you've got to be good in those three areas. But then you also have got to adapt. So so my trade-off for the kids, like, and they know it coming into my program, I'm going to coach you hard as I can. Uh, I'm getting your face. You're going to get coached tough. Tough love is the only love we teach or issue. But the trade-off for that, if you make it through, I'm going to buy you all the uniform combinations you can get. We're going to have a DJ at the games. We're going to be modern in that aspect. But when it comes, we're on that field. We're going to be tough. We're going to be physical. Uh, and that's the way you got I mean, especially with this culture of kids, man, where nobody's holding them accountable. we got to hold them accountable, and uh, you got to love up on them, man, because some of them aren't getting that love at the house. That's, that's right. That and, and that's... Quick one for you. Um, when you look at uh, – we had, I think, back in 2018, we talked about signing day. And one yep. thing – that you even talked about just a minute ago is how many of your kids are going to the next level, going to do the next yeah. thing. Uh, 2018, just kind of a, a spitting image of what you've done here coming into even this year coming up. How, how big is it to you as a coach to see these young athletes not just become great men on the football field, but not only going into the, to the football levels, but you see them going into the service and into the workplace? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I talked to you about it last time. Like That's, that's an expectation, man, and that's – that's why I got into coaching, and uh, last year it kind of hurt me because I got close enough to get to the Upstate Championship game. We didn't. We lost six three to Greer, but I never got into coaching to win state titles or chase championships. I got into coaching to change young men's lives and give them that opportunity to, to go to the next level as college or workforce and to have success have success in that field, whatever they choose. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, I, I was one of those prospects that was overlooked, and you know, coach really didn't help me get where I wanted to be, and I just I, I wasn't important, so. I make every one of my seniors feel important. We sit down and get a game plan. If it's going to school, I have a wealth of contacts. I'm not afraid to they do everything right, the Ridgeview way. I tell them at the end of the day, I'll put my name on you. And I tell them when a coach says you're good, especially the contacts that I have, I'm standing out there on my friendship with that coach at that school and saying, hey, this kid is worthy of taking. Uh, and I, I think that's the ultimate stamp approval, even in jobs. Our kids that don't go to school for that, I had a kid who wanted to go to Coastal and Coach, and I called Coach Chad and said, hey, this is the kid that you want in your program. I mean, he's not playing anymore, but he knows football. He'll help you. So I think when kids understand you and they trust you, you you'll be able to have them to run through a wall for you. And that's what we got at Ridge. It's a really special thing. So, Coach, uh, the reason I asked you on today was to talk a little bit about this uh, Columbia uh, Metro Bowl that, that you guys put together uh, last year and, and um, had had success with it. It's obviously an mm-hmm. opportunity for, for kids that, that missed out on the Shrine Bowl and North-South All-Star Games uh, to get another game in and have an opportunity for 
you know, college coaches to, to get some little bit extra film of them going up against some quality competition. Talk to us a little bit about yep. how this thing came together and, and what you guys are doing with it. Yeah, um, I, I basically pitched it to all of the uh, Columbia area schools last year. Uh, just as a true need, I, I talked about it the year before last. Um, and last year, I mean, we had a super strong roster. And, you know, everybody every year they're snubs, but I got tired of just sitting on my hands. And we had, I think, Waylon Napper was one, Isaiah Porter. Had like three or four really, really good players. Didn't get any consideration for Shrombol and North South. So I said, hey, you know, I called two of my buddies that former NFL guys. Hey, I need some money. I called my uh, football manufacturer who's uh, helped welcome them into South Carolina, and they're selling a ton of balls in the state. And I said, hey, I need some money. Uh, and I just I, I worked tirelessly. I got a couple guys to help me. And uh said, we're going to do this all-star game this year. I think we got it up and running last year, like in two months, which is nuts. Uh, I told them I was joking last year. Like, we were one one win away from the game falling through. We would have beat York. I think all my focus that week would have been on uh, – upper state championship game and not the Metro bowl, but I'm definitely glad we did it uh, to give these kids opportunity. Uh, it's so tough now, man. I mean, they picked Trombo this year off of what one and a half weeks of film. And that's just, that's tough, man. You're saying you're, you're picking the best senior players and you got kids uh, like sincere Scott on our team, but he's probably one of the most electric players in the state of South Carolina. He's only played football two seasons. I mean, and he has slim junior film, but his film this year is, is amazing. Uh, and, did you hear, you know, I, I did you hear the, did, I'm sorry. Did you hear the reasoning for the early picks? I I, I did not. I, I know the I coaches called, were against it. Oh yeah, I called the Shrine Bowl. I called the Shrine Bowl. Talked yeah. to the uh, chief administrator. This was the reason I got. He said that they uh, order the uniforms or custom uniforms. The company that they're going with is overseas. They require 90 days. Apparently, last year at the Shrine Bowl, they had kids and coaches that weren't getting their gear until the day of the game, and they didn't want to run into that again. So they told the coaches they had to select the team early. So now we're in a situation that's, where we're, we're picking a team, and it's it's really not right. No, that's not. And if that's the case, man, order extra jerseys with, with multiple sizes, and you're good. Like, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, think the kids want to play in the Shrine Bowl and have a jersey that fits. Man, that's that's kind of <laughs> that's sad for the kids. That is. Well, Coach, um, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us a little bit about this uh, this All-Star game and your football team. I'm excited about uh, what, what Ridgeview's done and, and the, the potential for them to go deep in the playoffs and really looking forward to that game this week um, with uh, South Point because I think that, you know, it, you're getting closer. You're getting closer and closer. Yeah. And this could be the year. This could be the year. I mean, why not? Yeah. Why not? We've, we've seen upsets all over the state. And uh, we've seen upsets in the, at the collegiate level over the last two weekends. So why not Ridgeview? And uh, just yep. I wish you the best. Of, wish you the best of luck this week and the best of luck throughout the playoffs. Awesome, I appreciate it, Jim. And we're thinking the same thing, man. Let's go out there and play football and see what happens, man. Appreciate you and Richie having me on. All right, thank you, buddy. All right, that's Coach Perry Parks from Ridgeview High School uh, talking to us about uh, Ridgeview Blazers and and their prospects and. Uh, talking to us a little bit about that Columbia Metro um, All-Star game that they put together last year. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. we got a special guest on hold right now. He's going to be coming on to join us, Coach Jason Allen um, from Ainer, who got the big upset win over Dillon this week. And um, we'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. Score big your next tailgate with one of Maurice's barbecue party specials, like Maurice's rib special. Two pounds of pulled pork cooked low and slow. A full rack of fall-off-the-bone ribs. 
three big pints of Southern Sides, 10 rolls, a gallon of tea, and 18 ounces of Maurice's Signature Sauce. Feed 10 for about 6 bucks a person. Now that's tailgate. More at Maurice'sBarbecue.com. Their pits have been hot since 39. Go team! That great smoke taste is cooking up for you at Maurice's Piggy Park Barbecue. All right, welcome back into the Sunday Drive. Appreciate Coach Perry Parks from Ridgeview joining us uh, online here with Jim Baxter and Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central. And now joining us on the show, a special guest, I promised you, Jason Allen, Coach Jason Allen from Ainer. Coach, congratulations. Probably the biggest win in the state on Friday night. Well, first of all, guys, uh, Jim, Rich, I appreciate you guys having me on uh, it was a great night to be a Blue Jacket, no doubt. It's been a long time coming uh, for the community. You know, they've we've been beat around for, for a bunch of years by Dylan, but uh, we finally got a chance to get one in the fourth quarter, and it was a special, special night. Now, Coach, we, we have listeners from all over the state, and Richie, Richie does a show in the low country. I'm primarily based in the Midlands, but we cover the entire state. But for the people that don't know who Jason Allen is, tell us a little bit, bit about uh, – you know, where you came from, where you went to high school and your, your collegiate. Uh, I know where, where you were, but uh, some of the people don't. Just tell us a little bit about who Jason Allen is. Well, I was born and raised right here in Ainer and uh, went to high school, graduated in 97, played, played football at Ainer, and I uh, went to college at Clemson and, um, you know, graduated from there. My first job, you know, I was blessed to get right back at Ainer High School in 2003. So I've been there pretty much ever since uh, as an assistant and coach law sports and coordinated both sides of the ball and you know a year and a half ago I got a chance to uh, you know was blessed the opportunity to, to be the head coach and it's been a it's been a crazy ride since man hey buddy Richie Altman here um first of all I, I'm gonna show my age with yours I graduated from Stockacy back in 1997 man so you know I, I know okay. Brock, Les, uh, Brock and Red Johnson and, and, and a bunch of your buddies oh yeah there. yeah that's right I, I played, played ball with them. Yep. oh yeah oh yeah I played Legion baseball with those guys over at Post 111. But, you know, being a kid that grew up at Surfside, went to Sockacy, man, you know, Ainer's been a program that you guys are, you know, that corn-fed bread defense and offensive yeah. line guys that are just smash mouth. But, you know, it was fun to wake up Saturday morning and go through my paperwork and, and do because I called the games on ESPN on Friday nights for Somerville down here in Charleston. Uh, but mm-hmm. I still keep up with my guys on the Grand Strand. But to see, you know, you guys have always been like family over there in Ainer. You're a little bit on the other side of Conway for those guys who don't know where Ainer's located. But, you know, again, we talked about it before we got you in here, Coach, where small towns still have that small town charm. They still appreciate Friday Night Lights. That's right. And that's something in Ainer that's still there. The town still shuts down. Everybody shows that, whether it's homecoming or what, whatever. As long as the lights are on, everybody's at the stadium. And, uh, it's got to be, if not the biggest win in Ainer, man. It's got to be up there at the top. And for a former player to do it, man, it means so much. And I can't even begin to tell you how proud I am of you, man. Well, we appreciate it, man. We, um, you know, this, this town's been wanting success for a while, and we've been close, you know, uh, over the last few years. But you know, we'd never really kind of gotten over that that hump of competing with Dylan. You know, we've had him at halftime where it's tied or down one score, but. You know, our kids just embrace, you know, you're right, we're, we're that kind of team. You know, we've got a lot of big kids, and, you know, we're really smart kids, so we can do a lot of different things up front. And, you know, they finally uh, embraced it and believed in it, and, you know, special things happen. Coach, tell us a little bit about the game. I mean, I, I, I think that people from around the state that haven't even seen Dylan play, all they know is that Dylan has won all these back-to-back championships and, and what Jackie Hayes has done there. Um, tell us a little bit about the game and, and for the people that are surprised, because I'm going to, listen, I'm going to brag a little bit. 
I'm not surprised. I picked it. I picked it on Wednesday. Oh man, you, you made me look really yeah. smart. Well, I mean, you like I told you the other day, you're probably uh, in a short line of people that picked us to beat them, and I don't blame them. Um, they're they're they are Dylan, and we call them Dylan University around here. But you know, our, our goal, man, we knew they were electric on offense, and I told my DC um, Billy Jones that you know our best defense Friday night will be to hold the ball, and so we really just tried to. You know, our, our philosophy is we can't get nine feet or three yards and we, we don't deserve to win. So we're just going to try to, you know, get three yards in a cloud of dust and milk the clock every possession and every play. And and I think we ended up, I think, holding the ball around 37 minutes out of the whole 48. So it was just, it was just one of those games, man. We just had to grind it out. And our kids are just, just amazing up front. And, um, it was back and forth the whole way until the very end. Yeah, you know, um, so 37 minutes, so ball control, uh, you know, ball control with production along with it actually works. Uh, so you're 7-0 and now. Um, you're kind of in the driver's seat. And uh, and we, we were talking about lower state uh, 3A earlier. How do you guys look, How in, in, in your mind, how do you size up? looking ahead and I know you don't I know coaches are going to tell you oh, we don't want to overlook anybody we're not looking past the next game or the next two games but how do you how do you what are your expectations for this team when the playoffs start well I mean I hate to give you the coach speak but I mean it's through the truth I, I tell our guys you know we didn't we didn't get here by worrying about our playoff seating you know day one and we're not going to get to that point if we do uh, but I, I will say this that you know the standard is Dylan, you know, so if you can compete with Dylan, then, you know, you, you can, you can play with anybody, um, but you got to play well. And that's, I, I, we always talk about, it's always about how we play and not who we play. So we're just really focused on, you know, continue to, you know, pay attention to the details and be the master of the ordinary and, and then all that stuff will take care of itself. But there's just so many good teams down in this, this low, lower state, man, May River and Gilbert, and you know, Dylan and, Manning, and I mean it's just Wade Hampton. I mean it's just it's just a loaded path to to Columbia if we want to try to go there. Yeah, it is. We we talked about that earlier. Now, who do you who you guys have next? We have Loris on the road, so it's going to be a tough challenge. Another another tough game there, and that is yeah. your let's see, you're seven and zero, so you you've actually still got two at least two games, right? You got two games left. Yeah. Well, we had a. Um, team that in our non-region that the school actually closed so we're only going to play nine regular season games so we have two games left one at Loris and then one at Lake City so both of those teams are okay you know very talented and you know we've beaten Loris like one time in the last you know 30 years so I mean it's just it's always a challenge to play them and then Lake City just I mean it's one of the most talented teams we'll play so that's it's it's okay. a tall order well, if you want to, if you want to take a moment to tell us about some of your players that that, that uh, you'd like to get some recognition, I know coaches don't like to to talk about individuals that much, but it's obviously an opportunity to mention some kids and get them some, you know, give them some accolades uh, uh, in front of a lot of people. If uh, if you've got some kids you want to mention, go for it. Well, I mean, I've got a team full of great kids. Um, we've got a few that I think uh, I believe can play at the next level. Colby Todd, he's our right tackle. He's a six four kid, about three hundred pounds, and he's just you know, he's just one of the nastiest run blockers I've ever seen. He leads the team in pancakes and you know, first play of the game the other night he comes off and you know, flat backs the guy. I mean he's just got a great motor best thing about Colby is he's a he's just a tremendous kid, you know, just loves the game and you know, works hard and so I think he's got a chance to play at the next level. Uh, Drew Shelley, he's our fullback, tight end, inside linebacker, he does it he does it all. 
You know, he's just a wrecking ball, man. He plays like a bull in a china shop all the time. And, you know, he just – I mean, I, if he can't play college football, I don't I don't know who can. Our quarterback, um, he carried the ball 39 times a night. And um, it's just that's, – that's a tall task, Andrew Brown. Uh, he's just a wonderful kid, man. Just I mean, he just kept getting hit and kept getting up and wanted it more. So, you know, those are – those are probably our, our top prospects right now that I think can, can play at the next level. we got some other kids, though, that, you know, if they keep getting better, uh, Riley Phipps plays receiver and wing for us. He just does a great job in the secondary. So, um, you know, we don't we, we normally don't have a lot of prospects, but I think these kids can, can definitely play at the next level. Well, you got a lot of good kids that can play high school football, and I tell people all the time, you know, you don't, you don't win high school football with college prospects. You win it with good high school football players. That's right. And, um, That's exactly right. Well, listen – well, congratulations, Coach, and uh, just happy for you and happy for that Ainer community. It's, it's a, a long time deserved for you guys, and, and uh, just want to thank you for coming on the show, sharing with us, and, and wish you best of luck for the rest of the season. Well, Jim, thank you and Richard, man. I appreciate it, and uh, y'all have a good night. Uh, thank good you. job, Coach. Coach Jason Allen from Ainer. Man, big win, Richie. How about that? Ainer over Dylan. It's a huge win, dude, because I'm going to tell you something. When I grew up at Sockasee or, or Surfside, but went to Sockasee, there were no James Island or St. James. There was, there was no, you know, these other schools that had been built now currently, they're, they're actually with Carolina Fork. It was just, you know, you had North Myrtle Beach, you had Myrtle Beach, you had Conway and, and Sockasee. And then Ainer was kind of sitting back in the back. Now, these kids were always bigger than you would imagine. They were fast. They were dangerous. They were just they didn't have anything else better to do than play football, play baseball. They didn't have the distractions of the beach. So I'm not surprised that they finally went in-house, brought a kid back they used to play to build back up that culture, to build things. And I know this game against Lourdes, he didn't talk much about it, but that's, that's got to be one of their rivalry games because they're so close in proximity. Yeah, and, and Lourdes is a very – Lourdes is a lot like Ainer in that they're a very physical, you know, blue-collar uh, type football team. Well, we're going to, Richie, we're going to take a quick break uh, and uh, we'll come back, finish up the top 10 polls. I think we got 2A and 1A to go over. And then we got a, another special guest coming on, Dutch Fork quarterback Ty Owenchuk is going to be joining us to talk a little bit about football. You're listening to the Sunday Drive on scvarsity.com radio network. You ever get frustrated with your lawn maintenance problems or perhaps have some landscaping issues that you need to take care of? Windmill Services can help you out. They're not just a landscaping company. They offer a variety of services for all of your outdoor needs. You can hire them for one-time jobs like landscaping, design installation, irrigation installation or repair, sod installation, and even outdoor lighting services. They also are available for ongoing services like scheduled lawn mowings, landscape maintenance, and grounds maintenance. They've been providing professional outdoor services for 25 years to residential and commercial properties in and around the Columbia, South Carolina area. Give them a call today at 803-513-3662 or visit them on the web at windmillservices.net. More than just a landscaping company. All right, welcome back in to the Sunday Drive. Jim Baxter along with Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central and uh, had some special guests. Love having uh, Coach Perry Parks from Ridgeview. I want to thank Jason Allen from Ainer coming on, telling us a little bit about the Ainer Blue Jackets' big win over uh, Dillon this past Friday. And, um, Richie, we left off, I think, on the, uh, finishing up the 3A polls, and, and we still got the 2A to go over. 2A is going to be interesting. Um, you know, I, I think that the thought process that everybody in the state is there's Abbeville and then there's everyone else. Um, but I've got number one, Abbeville. 
I got Barwell number two, Timberland number three, Oceanside Collegiate, who you mentioned earlier, number four, Southside Christian number five. Southside Christian is a, a very dangerous football team in the playoffs. Number six, Saluda. Number seven, Woodland. Number eight, Bamberg Earhart. Number nine, Gray Collegiate, sister school to Oceanside Collegiate. And at number 10, I've gotten Mullins. What are your thoughts on those teams? I know that you're close to the guys at Timberland and Oceanside Collegiate and Woodland. Um, what do you think about those polls? Well, I like your poll there. And, it's, again, the one thing that I'm going to kind of look at is, is what is Chad Greer going to do this weekend? They have uh, the likes of uh, Timberland uh, coming to town over to Mount Pleasant. That's the rival. That's the big game. That's the game that kind of decides that side of the region, uh, if you will, down here in Charleston. But currently right now they have a leading rusher, not just in, in that classification, but in all the low country in Keegan Williams. The kid ran for over 150 yards on Friday night as they beat uh, the, the new school here in town, one of the newer schools, and Phillip Simmons, 70 to nothing. But he scored six times. I mean, they got a quarterback, went 12 for 13 in the air for 200 yards and two touchdowns to Walker Roof. So you, you see what they have going on there. It's a, I'm interested to see how good they really are. And I don't know if we're going to be – until this weekend and going into the playoffs, we'll see exactly how good they are overall. They've got four shutouts and, what, eight games already. They've given up – 67 points. Now, 42 of those were to Gray uh, on a game they played a, a few weeks back, but very good team. Of course, you mentioned Timberland. Uh, this is a traditional team down here in 2A football that has played football in Charleston for a long, long time. They've been doing good things. I got to see the likes of Woodland uh, in week zero. And Somerville went up to Woodland. They, got, they have a young man that's already committed to Virginia. And uh, Mr. Davis, he's a big kid, great size, good frame, great hands. Um, again, a lot of talent, but it's again one of these. Once you get off that first name that you mentioned in the number one spot from two all the way down, it's the gauntlet. It's who can last and who could be standing at the end. And when they get to the championship game, I, get, I believe it's in Columbia again this year. Yeah, yeah, it is, and um, it's going to be good. I, I really believe. Uh, it, I talked to Chad the other day, and he was telling me he was watching film trying to figure out how to block Timberland. But uh, that's going to be a huge game. I think if if Oceanside can get by Timberland, you know. Oceanside's got to be considered one of the uh, contenders in the lower state uh, to get that championship game. The, the question is, can anyone challenge Abbeville? And the way Abbeville's been playing right now, I, I really don't know if they can. I think Abbeville uh, is probably going to end up repeating as 2A state champions. In the 1A classification, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, this is a, a very difficult poll to do once you get past four or five teams. But uh, I've got Green C. Floyd, number one. Uh, number two, Wagner Sally. Uh, number three, Lamar. Number four, C.E. Murray. Number five, Lakeview. Number six, Branchville. Number seven, Ridge Spring Mineta. Number eight, Baptist Hill. Number nine, Whitmire. And number 10, Denmark Olar. I really believe that the teams in this to keep an eye on are going to be Green C. Floyd, Wagner Sally, Lamar, and C.E. Murray or Lakeview. Um, in, in those, those four or five teams. Um, it, honestly, it's anybody's ball game. This Wagner Sally team is very interesting. Um, Richie, they started calling me about Wagner Sally four years ago on the Friday night high school scoreboard show on 107.5 The Game, uh, talking about this incredible group of freshmen. They had decided to just go ahead and play all their freshmen, and they started these kids. And, and I, I want to say it was probably 12, 13 kids, maybe even 14 kids that they started that were freshmen. Those kids are seniors now. 
And um, this Wagner-Sally team is a tough football team with kids playing on this team with their starters all having – most of their starters all having four years' experience on varsity. So they're going to be tough to beat. But uh, I think 1A is going to be interesting once we get to that second, third round of the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you. Here's the fun part of that, which you just mentioned. You have these coaches who, when they do what this coach has done is starting his young kids and getting the bumps and bruises out, it, it's everybody in the barbershop and everybody across town, what is he doing? Why is he – we need another coach, but they don't realize this guy's already done his homework, or maybe he's already gone through this before, but he's putting in these young guys now. That way he can see the – I would say the positive return out of this in their senior year, two, three years. It takes that even on a college level. You know, we expect these college coaches to come in and win right away. What's the culture change that these guys are bringing in? And you're going to hear me say that a lot on this show and any other show I'm on is it it starts with the culture, the foundation, and it takes a coach a while not only to get his coaches in right order, but the players in right order and everything in the schemes of things. I mean, again, look all the way back at Georgia Tech where these guys basically had to find out what TE stood for. They had no idea what a tight end was up until this past year, but that's kind of what this coach knew he had to deal with. And that's why three, four years ago, three years ago, I guess now, he started these young freshmen. They now seniors, they're grown men, and they're handling the success a lot better because they learned it the hard way. They sure did. And it's, I mean, it's, it's going to make for good playoffs. It, it makes for good playoffs at every level, but it, it's tough in the 1A classification because you're dealing with a whole different ball game there. And especially with what we've been talking about over the last couple of years with the diminishment in numbers and participation and all. Well, we're going to take a quick break, um, 30 seconds, in fact, and we're going to come back. Got a special guest on hold, and we're going to bring him in and talk a little high school football with what I feel is the best quarterback in the state of South Carolina. Dutch Forks, Ty Olinchuk. Be back right after this message. Whether it's lunch, dinner, or taking home a bucket of the best fried chicken known to mankind, the one place you can get it all is Zesto in West Columbia. And they've been serving the freshest made-to-order Zesto burgers, hot fries, homemade coleslaw, and delicious hand-spun shakes and desserts for the last 65 years. Man, that's a lot of milkshakes and a lot of smiles. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. till 11 p.m. ZestoWestColumbia.com. All right, we are back in on the Sunday Drive. Jim Baxter from SCVarsity.com along with Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central. And we have a special guest, as promised, online with us from Columbia, South Carolina, Dutch Fork quarterback Ty Olinchuk. Mr. Olinchuk, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? You're doing great, man. Congratulations on the win over Lexington uh, Friday night. Um, I got to tell you that I hated to see that. My son's one of the coaches on Lexington sidelines, but, uh, but congratulations. And uh, tell us a little bit about first, before we get into this, you know, interview with you, tell us a little bit about the game. You know, um, Lexington came in with a great strategy. Um, you know, they played two deep in corners and they played the safeties both on the hash and they really took away the deep ball and, Having Jalen out in the first quarter really made me, you know, change up my whole mindset of the offense. And I had to go some two freshmen, actually, that started a wide receiver uh, for the game. But having Jalen messed everything up, but we were able to drive the ball and throw short stuff and just get a bunch of yards. And that's kind of what kind of what you've done all year is get a bunch of yards. You've uh, you've broken uh, now you you actually have broken every passing record now at Dutch Fork. Is that correct? Uh, everyone but one of them. Uh, my brother still leads me in career yards, and I'm like 500 away from beating his record. Oh, you could get that this weekend. 
I mean, <laughs> or at least or at least the next two weekends. So um, talk to us a little bit about uh, you, uh, for the people that don't know, and I don't know unless they haven't been, you know, been living in the Western Hemisphere, uh, why they wouldn't know. But um, you are committed uh, to Clemson University for baseball. And uh, I, I have people all the time asking me, why hasn't uh, the Dutch Fork quarterback got any, you know, power five offers? And I said, well, you know, he's committed in baseball and, and you know, when, and he's a pretty strong commitment. Talk to us a little bit about, I guess, first about your, your career in baseball, how, you know, what baseball means to you and a little bit about how excited you are about going to that Clemson program. Well, you know, Clemson's everything to me. Um, freshman year, freshman summer is when I committed and, Monty Lee and McCroy really brought me in and made me feel like family on my first visit. And I knew that was the place I had to be. And baseball has been my sport ever since I was little. And I knew I wanted to go play college ball. And it's just been my dream to ever go to Clemson. And they really made me feel like family just, and I couldn't go anywhere else. Fantastic. Um, I, I know that, I know that there's probably a lot of disappointed people uh, that, that want to see you continue to play football. And, and Ty, I can tell you, I've been doing this, for a long time, I was a coach for a long time. I've been evaluating players for a long time, and and I, I feel like you are a power five quarterback. I think that you know you could go into a power five program and play. There's nobody in the state that throws a better ball than you. Um, I've trained a lot of quarterbacks, and and I was telling a coach the other day that I was talking to about you that you you throw the prettiest ball I've seen since Mason Rudolph was in the state. And Mason's playing for wow. the Steelers now, so that's uh, that's pretty good. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, is is there any I'm, I, is there any way is anything that would change your mind? Is there any kind of dream offer if it came through uh, for Ty Olinchuk that would make him at least think about you know maybe changing his mind and going and playing football? Well, first of all, I appreciate that and thank you for everything you just said. That means a lot. Um, there definitely is. I want to play in college. You know, I said baseball is my heart and soul, but just the love for the game of football and after these past three seasons, three state championships, just everything I've been through on the football field, I've just developed a true love for the game. And like you said, Power Five, I, if somebody – nobody's offered me yet. Nobody's given me a chance. But, I mean, if anybody were to come through with a football offer, I'd definitely consider I, I just don't want to give up this game. And Clemson would be awesome, but just anybody I'd consider, I do not want to give up football yet. Hey, buddy, Richie Alvin down in Charleston uh, I, with Southern Sports Central, man. Look, I'm actually the voice of Somerville on, on uh, the Green Wave uh, <laughs> down here in Charleston. And uh, I'm excited about you going and playing baseball. And, and, and it, I wouldn't have been hurt if you went a year early, dude. You know, if you would have went and joined my buddy Monty uh, this past year because uh, we've gotten to know each other pretty well on uh, championship, the, the lower state championship this past year where you came to Somerville. And two years before that, we go to Dutch Fork. It's, it's just, uh, man, you guys are like the Achilles heel for the Green Wave. But – uh, a lot of contribute to what you guys do in the off season, man. The the way that your coach kind of has you guys believe it way before the season even starts. And I'm a big coach Knotts man. I love the aggressiveness. I love that you guys come out there with your shirts off and you're in your jeans. And yeah, you know, you jumped on the OS over there in the middle of the field. Hey, you know what? If you don't like them, you got to beat them. And uh, and I love that. I love the intensity that you guys have. Um, didn't really like the feeling after the game, but that comes with it, man. I mean, that's part of what we do on Friday nights, but. How do you guys handle all this, man? Do you guys handle stress as good as anybody I've seen? The pressure, the, the expectations, it's year after year here in the last three or four years. You even wear these shirts where you're basically saying, hey, you know what? You don't like it. you got to beat us. What is the coach selling to you guys yeah. that y'all are buying day in and day out? It's, 
it's just the way when he first came in, he set he set a goal, and the goal was to win every single game and to just do what he said. And he's a legend, and he's coached what how many years, and his record shows itself. But just he says, follow my rules and follow them right, and big things will happen. And everybody on the team since he got here has bought into his program, and he's hired incredible coaches. And just it's like everybody's on the same way. Everybody buys in, and everybody does what they need to do, and what he says and what needs to happen. And it's just one big wrecking crew, and bond led behind him and his scheme. Uh, well, man, I wish Ty, you the best one of more. luck, and, and it's a lot of fun to watch you do what you do. Uh, you know, like again, hopefully, you know, Somerville gets another shot at you guys. But it's, it's no doubt in five A football, man, that thing runs uh, right up there at Dutch Fork, and uh, for anybody to try to get a, a championship, it's definitely going to go through you guys. So good luck the rest of the way, and. Who knows, man? We may talk again on the football field here in a couple of weeks. For sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Ty, uh, one more question for you, and I'll let you go and, and get back to your friends and family. Um, the uh, One of the things that I like about uh, Tom Knotts, and I say all the time, I, I think Tom Knotts is, there's, is the master at preparing a football team for a game. Talk a little bit about that process with you and Coach Knotts. What does, what does he do with you? to prepare you for an opponent? Um, he's been doing it for three years. To prepare me, he he basically tells me the defense and tells me what plays. And he basically, now being senior, he puts it into my hands to be able to run the offense. Um, you know, preparation starts Sunday right after a big win. He, isn't, he takes it home Friday night and forgets about it. Um, preparation starts early, and he gets with me and tells me the scheme on Sunday, tells me the plays he wants to run, and then basically puts it into my hands to lead the team and do it all week. Well, that's that sounds like Tom Knotts. I mean, I I think he's a master at preparing a football team and 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 probably the best play caller in the state of South Carolina. But but if you're running the offense, maybe you're the best play caller in South Carolina. <laughs> but, I can't uh, say that. It's well, listen, it's been working for so uh, long. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Ty, good luck to you the rest of the way out. Um, I don't I don't see – I don't not to put any undue pressure on you guys, I don't see anybody beating Dutch Fork. I think Dutch Fork is at least two touchdowns better than anybody else in the state. And I just wish you the best of luck. Stay healthy and uh, good luck to you, regardless of whether it's on the diamond or on the gridiron. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Right. Ty Olinchuk, Dutch Fork quarterback, Richie, I'm telling you, man, I, I've been doing this a long time. I've been working with quarterbacks a long time. That kid is one of the best I've seen, um, one of the best high school quarterbacks I've ever seen, and I, I truly believe that he can play power five football. Uh, you know, a lot of people yeah, it's said, surprising well, you know, to see these guys, though. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry about that. No, let's go ahead. Go it's ahead. surprising go ahead. to see these guys that are really good. There's a guy down here at Somerville, Brody Hopkins. Brody's been committed to the College of Charleston uh, for a couple of years now. He's a solid commitment, no doubt about it, but He's a kid that could play on Saturdays. I believe he could play on Saturdays. He's not just a wide receiver. He's the kicker. He's the kickoff returner. He plays anywhere the coaches ask him to play. And the thing is, he's good at where they put him. I mean, he's an athlete. He's a real deal athlete, just like the young man we just had on here. You know, these coaches, they get it, man. They get these kids to commit early. Of course, uh, Coach Hobrooks down here in Charleston at the College of Charleston. Monty Lee had coached down here, you know, at the College of Charleston as well, now up at Clemson. But, you know, you see these guys who play double sports, and, and that's, the, I guess, the downsides of it. If the other sport can get them first, you know, good athletes usually are loyal athletes, and that's what you're seeing out of these two young men, I think. 
Well, you know, the quarterback class in South Carolina is just phenomenal this year. If you look at all the quarterbacks that, that we've got in this state that are, are playing football that, that are in this class of 2020, um, it's a phenomenal group. And, and I think that the winners in this are the all-star games. And you look at, you look at what the, the Shrine Bowl has been able to select for the Shrine Bowl, uh, what the North-South um, uh, team has, has got to select from uh, for those two teams. I mean, I, I think that they've got they've got it made. I mean, they got you know the a lot of people have asked me why you know why I thought um, Olinchuk didn't make the Shrine Bowl, and I tell I told people months ago that he wasn't going to make the Shrine Bowl, and the reason for that was even though I think he's the best quarterback in the state, there are other quarterbacks that that can play. The the Dutch Fork is so heavy in Division One talent and and great high school football players that they've got one of the best nose guards in the state, and they've got the best football player in the state. And, uh, you know, in their um, wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt. So it, it was kind of a no-brainer to take – they were going to have to take Jalen Hyatt. You know, he's the best player in the state. And the, from a position of need, being on the defensive front, they had to take Trey Irby, which was a defensive uh, lineman. And, that, and you can only have two teams from each, each – uh, you can only have two players from each team on the playoff. You can't have more on the, uh, I mean, you can't have more than two players on the Shrine Bowl from any team. So that kind of limited them. And, and so what it does is it puts the South uh, all-star team in a position to where, where they've got Mason Garcia from, um, from Carolina Forest and Dutch, uh, Dutch Forks, Tyler Olinchuk, two of the best quarterbacks in the state that they could easily select for their all-star team. And uh, same in the North. There's so many good quarterbacks left. Uh, on the board that uh, I think our all-star teams are going to be incredible this year at the quarterback position. You know what I like, though, Jim, that you're seeing those guys, what they're doing in Columbia, and and I'm going to hope that some of these coaches around the area, not just in the Midlands, but in the upstate and even now here to the low country, up to the even uh, over there to the Grand Strand, maybe they're hearing that. What a great idea to have these kids who are overlooked, uh, who did not get an offer to either play at the Shrine Bowl or the north-south game, because there's still a lot of talent. And unfortunately, realistically, there's just not enough positions to get every kid in. And it, it depends, and, and I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but sometimes when you get a, a certain classification coach on, on one of those coaching staffs, you kind of see they lean a little bit more towards that 2A, if they're a 2A or 3A coach, because they feel like, well, the 1 and 2 and 3s don't get a lot of love. And then if you get a 5A coach, he's going to probably lean a bit more towards the 4 and 5, because that's just the guys he sees a little more. Well, with the and with the north south selection, it's a little bit different because of the way it's set up. You got to have every every region's got to be represented. And if so, for instance, if you're in a, a region that's not very good in football, and that region's best player happens to be a quarterback, he's going to get selected for the All Star game. And what that does is it leaves out a quarterback from another region or you know somewhere else in the in the list because they have to take someone from every region. But if you look at this quarterback list, I'm going to go over it real quick because we're going to wrap up this show and head right in to our college segment, the Southern Peaks Report. Um, listen to this quarterback class that we've got this year. Ty Olinchuk, Dutch Fork. Uh, Luke Doty, Myrtle Beach, going to South Carolina. Mason Garcia, Carolina Forest, East Carolina uh, commitment. Michael Osardo from Chapman, uh, Georgia State commitment. Avion Smith uh, from White Knoll, Miami of Ohio commitment. J.W. Hertzberg, I think probably the most underrated quarterback in the state. It's outside Christian. Noah Bell from Saluda. Jai Tolan from Gilbert, uh, just a, a monster on offense. Hunter Helms from Great Collegiate leads the state in passing and one of the national leaders in quarterback rating. Uh, Matt Duncan at Ashley Ridge, you've seen play. Josh Strickland at Blythewood. I mean, the list goes on. I've got there's, – there's 20, at least 20 quarterbacks 
that I've got on this list, they're going to be playing on Saturdays. It's just an incredible position in South Carolina. Yeah, it's nice to see these numbers back up, though, because if you think just years ago, not long ago, we didn't have a lot of talent. You and I have talked about this on this show this past week. We talked about it on my show as well, to where you're seeing the state of South Carolina kind of going in the wrong direction. So maybe, uh, just maybe we're seeing that turn to get us back in the right direction because, like I mentioned to you a few weeks back, is that per capita we used to put some kids at the next level, and that is by the size of our state and the amount of kids that are doing things at the next level, Jim. We're just not seeing it here of late. Yeah. Well, we are out of time for the Sunday Drive high school portion of this show. Um, great show. I uh, want, want to thank Coach Perry Parks from Ridgeview, Coach uh, Jason Allen from Ainer, and Dutch Fork quarterback Ty Olinchuk for joining us on the show. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come right back in. Stay tuned. We're going to come right back in to the Southern Pigskin Report, which is all college. We've got Coach Zach Willis. Uh, on hold right now. He's going to be joining us for that portion of the show. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the Sunday Drive. Whether it's lunch, dinner, or taking home a bucket of the best fried chicken known to mankind, the one place you can get it all is Zesto in West Columbia. And they've been serving the freshest made-to-order Zesto burgers, hot fries, homemade coleslaw, and delicious hand-spun shakes and desserts for the last 65 years. Man, that's a lot of milkshakes and a lot of smiles. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. till 11 p.m. ZestoWestColumbia.com You're listening to the SCVarsity.com Sports Radio Network. And this is the Southern Pigskin Report, all college football. All right, man, we had a great segment of the high school portion of the show with uh, those guys joining us. That was a great interview with Kyle and Chuck. Love that kid, man. He's the best quarterback in the state. Coach Willis, I wish you could have been online to, to talk to um, Ty Olinchuk, you and I talked about him uh, earlier in the week and last week, and uh, what a great kid and what a great thing he's doing over at Dutch Fork. Outstanding player. Uh, you know, we've, we've known in years past to produce some great ones, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does on the next level. Uh, so, Coach, we got uh, me, you, Richie Altman. We're going to do this for the first time. We've, we've touched on the college uh, – action on our show uh the southern pigskin report and um we were you and i were kind of texting last night during a couple of the games and i don't know where to start i mean there's so much to talk about i told you last night what we would do is we try to come in with our five takeaways uh, from the college football from this weekend but i don't know if we're going to be able to get those in but we can certainly get in our we'll, we'll each go through our number one takeaway for college football for for this weekend and and kind of get into a discussion on that and then I want to I want to touch if it's not either one of you guys uh, big takeaways I want to touch on the officiating because I think the officiating that was something that uh, Coach Willis and I were talking a good bit about last night and um, we need to get into that but I guess uh, we'll let uh, let you go first Coach what was your I guess your biggest takeaway from this weekend Well apart from the officiating which I, we're going to have our own segment on that uh, honestly to me the kind of uh, the deterioration of the program at Alabama and Georgia. Uh, you know, the, the media is propping them up, especially Alabama. But, you know, the days of them lining up 
and running the football and playing incredible defense are over. And uh, that was kind of, you know, I knew last year Clemson you know, beat the brakes off of them in the national championship, and I kept waiting on Alabama to be Alabama, and they never were. And watching that game the other night, you know, Tennessee's not a very good football team. No disrespect to Georgia State, but they should never beat an SEC school outside of maybe Vanderbilt ever. And they walked into Neyland Stadium and wore them out. And watching them play last night, you know, they were in that game with Alabama. They they hurt Tua, knocked him out of the game, not a very durable quarterback. And, of course, Georgia, well, I mean, they struggled again. And if Kentucky had a quarterback on their roster, they probably beat them. So I, I, that's kind of my thing. I'm baffled by the change in philosophy of Saban uh, and shocked at the lack of production out of Jake Fromm and that Georgia offense. Rich, you got something? I, I'm going to kind of mirror with well, – I agree with him. I think what, what's happening in college football is, is, is very similar to what we're seeing a lot of people in life. We're living in a lot of yesterdays. And I've upset a lot of people in that orange jerseys and uh, at the Clemson when I put out my top four and had Clemson at number five. And I'm not saying the Clemson's not very good. I'm just saying the talent that they've played against is not very good. And the best game, I think, on their schedule – was it A&M? Well, Mon is not Mon of last year. The Mon of last year was pretty daggum good. He was hitting guys in stride. He's throwing things behind him. He's throwing to the other team. Just not very impressive to me. Alabama, you know, they're at number four for me. They're not very good either. I mean, we're running off of who they were last year. I hate to hear these guys tell me this, guys, is that, well, they were until somebody beats them, you know, they're – you know, they're, they're going to be at number one and two. For what reason? Because at my job, they don't care that I won an award last year. They want to see what I can do this year. And I think after six or seven or eight weeks, we kind of know a little bit more about the teams in the in the top 25. And, you know, when you see Ohio State just dominating and doing the things they're doing, you look over there and you see LSU. I mean, LSU's probably my biggest surprise. And this quarterback, this kid is the real deal. I mean, this guy is throwing things like I've never seen an LSU quarterback because this is a defensive team in the past. Very good in Oklahoma. I know he's not an Alabama guy, but I think he's taken some of that. He must have taken all of that Alabama loving that sweet home Alabama to Oklahoma because he gets better and better. And to see an athlete, and all three of us have coached at some level, to see a quarterback win a game and then hit the weight room to get better, I mean, that's a dream come true. We couldn't draw it up better ourselves. And, of course, officiating, you know, whether I'm a Gamecock fan or not a Gamecock fan, there were so many awful, obvious calls that just – were left uncalled, and I ask you guys this question: Did the SEC, did the SEC do everything they had to do to kind of guarantee two teams in the uh, championship game, or at least out of the top four? I think you know. I don't. You know, you. I really hate to think that that's what they were doing. Um, I, I just. I think it's more of a case of just bad officiating. I don't. I don't know that there's any. Uh, well, of course, you know, it could be. I mean, it could be. If you look at the Alabama game, I mean, uh, Coach and I were watching the Alabama game and Tennessee game last night and, and talking back and forth on, on the officiating. And, and officiating hurt Tennessee. I mean, that was a game Tennessee could have won. Now, of course, Gerontano hurt, hurt Tennessee probably worse than the officials did there at the end. But, uh, you know, I think that game – and I, I was going to list this as one of my takeaways, Coach. Alabama was exposed last night. I know that they yeah. won, and they, they won by, by a fair margin, but they were exposed by a mediocre football team, maybe even a sub-mediocre football team. And I have to wonder, you know, when you start looking at the calls, 
is that why the calls came? Is that do you really do we really believe this conspiracy theory that that it, it's a, a, a ploy to try to get Alabama back in the championship game because they still got to get by LSU? I think it would. Here's here's what we were always told since I actually coached in that league. I've I've, I've heard and seen things over the years that we don't have time to get into tonight. Uh, but they want that Alabama-LSU matchup to happen because of the national relevance. And whoever comes out of that game, they want the Georgia-Florida, and they're going to get the Georgia-Florida and Alabama-LSU so that an SEC championship game can get definitely one, if not two people, into the SEC. Are they going to cheat to do it? I wouldn't say cheat. But I would say if it's a judgment call late in a ball game, and you're not a power, a top ten SEC team. You're trying to pull an upset. You're going to have to beat them, them and the referees. Uh, uh, usually, the longer a game goes, the more the referees are going to sit back and let you play. These are not crooked people, but some of it's subconscious. Uh, but now I've been involved in the game on the national level and the small college level. When I started at the program, we were horrible. We never got any calls, and we started pulling upsets. Things got kind of even, and then we won a championship or two. And we were a top ten program in the country, and this is a true story. We had we couldn't find a game. We had to pay to defend the national champions to come to our place and play us. They wouldn't come and just do a home-and-home. Home. They wanted money because nobody beat us in 20 tries at home. And um, the chairman of our officials called me and said, you can't have any – alumni referee the game but because it's a, nas- a game of such national importance and the spotlights on our conference not just your school you can pick your crew true story <clears throat> okay so for all the conspiracy theorists for all the non-theorists for all the whatever that's that's fact that's not conjecture and this human refereed major college football for almost 40 years so you know, am I saying that's going on? Pretty much, yeah, I am. They're not going to – Tennessee had to had to beat Alabama. It's kind of like in boxing. you don't, you got to beat the champ. You can't win a split decision. you got to either knock him out or beat him so bad everybody knows it. Um, and that's what I would tell you. Is that those, those things do go on. And the SEC football, as we know, is a cash cow. So uh, I saw a little bit of it. I saw it at times it was just poor officiating. Uh, but you're right down to the end of the Florida game where, you know, Horn gets that intersection. Did he hold him? Yeah, but they've been letting holding go all day. You know, uh, they don't let it go. They're in the very next play. It's an obvious pick play uh, that gives Florida the go-ahead, the score to kind of put it away. Earlier in the game, we got the holding that literally went on for 50 yards uh, downfield. But what people don't realize is if you go back and look at that game, their right tackle jump well before the ball was snapped and, and there wasn't a flag thrown. Um, you know, and you look at the, the uh, mountain of evidence in that game and the Tennessee-Alabama game, and you go, what in the world is going on here? Uh, is it intentional? We'll never know that. Yeah, I, you know, the, the, the flags and refereeing obviously was a, a big part of yesterday, and we'll continue to talk about that some uh, over the next 20 minutes, but um, I, my takeaway from the weekend coaching, and, and you and I talked about this a little bit last night, my takeaway this weekend and, and has been right up there in the top two or three things over the last few weeks is the quarterback 
for LSU, Joe Burrow. I think oh, that this kid is the real deal. I, you know, people talk about um, the kid from Oregon, and they, and they talk about Tua. I'm telling you, man, this this Burrow kid is an NFL prospect, and he's tearing it up. And, and we talked about this last night, Coach. I think he's he might be the best quarterback LSU's ever had. He certainly – I mean, you you look at him and say, well, who who who's done better than him in seven game period than maybe Burt Jones? If you go back all the way back to Burt Jones, and that was in That's the seventies, I, I think early seventies. Yeah, I mean, it, if you look at it statistically, you know, they that there's been several LSU teams I thought that they were quarterback away from being national champion, uh, and uh, I definitely agree with that. I I look at them; they played tough games. You know, if you look at Alabama, if you can look at Alabama's first eight ball games, they're they're the teams they played are what they're just as weak as Clemson, as far as who they played. Um, oh yeah, their biggest win I think was both A and M. But now that'll change once they play LSU. All that changes because they've got Auburn and LSU down the road. But Joe Burrow, if if he has the time, I think he's going to have because Alabama couldn't rush the passer. Halinski carved him up and. Last night, you know, they couldn't get the, they couldn't get a Tennessee's quarterback. They do that with Joe Burrow, he will slice them and dice them up. I mean, it will it'll be ugly. Yeah, I look at that LSU team, and and uh, you know they they seem to have a complete package. If they have a weakness, yes, um, I think that you know it's it's probably the fact that they don't have uh, near the running game that they normally have to complement that passing game. Uh, it hasn't really affected them yet, but uh, I think no. if they can develop any kind of running game, they're going to be tough to beat. And and we, we well, you mentioned earlier about trying to get two teams in the, in the uh, playoffs. I think the only way that that Alabama gets in with a loss, because I was thinking about this, if LSU beats Alabama and goes to that SEC championship game, regardless of who they play, I think the only way that Alabama gets in with that loss is if LSU the SEC championship. I think if if that LSU could, goes in, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I think if LSU yeah. goes in, beats Alabama, goes into the championship, and then loses to Florida or Georgia, then Florida is going to get in the playoffs, and LSU and Alabama are going to be out. Well, I know, you know, a couple of years ago, the the perfect storm from that year was they lost, they they were number one in the country all year long, um, and they lost to Auburn. Auburn went and played Georgia. Georgia beat Auburn, and Georgia and Alabama both went went in the playoffs that way. There's going to have to be some kind of a system like that where there there's a there's a loss by and in this this instance, I think it is between Alabama and LSU. You know where one beats the other one, and then they turn around. And Alabama has the best chance of doing that just because they're Alabama. That name recognition, and it shouldn't be about what you've done in the past, but unfortunately. Uh, Folks, folks tend to lean that way. They they go on their past and what they've done, which is impressive. But I think you're right. Uh, and, you know, they, they 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 would love to get them in because that's an extra crew they get to put in the in the bowl, and that's an extra paycheck. It means a whole lot, me uh, tens of millions of dollars because they they get extra person on the bottom end of that bowl in into a bowl if they win six games. An extra All right, team, we're gonna take it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I think Richie uh, wants to jump online and, and uh, get involved in the conversation. 
Score big your next tailgate with one of Maurice's barbecue party specials, like Maurice's rib special. Two pounds of pulled pork cooked low and slow. A full rack of fall-off-the-bone ribs. Three big pints of southern sides. Ten rolls, a gallon of tea, and 18 ounces of Maurice's signature sauce. Feed ten for about six bucks a person. Now that's tailgate. More at maurice'sbarbecue.com. Their pits have been hot since 39. Go team! That great smoke taste is cooking up for you at Maurice's Biggie Park Barbecue. All right, welcome in to the Southern Pigskin Report, part of the Sunday Drive and SCVarsity.com Sports Radio. Jim Baxter, along with Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central and Coach Zach Willis, joining us right now. We're all talking uh, college football, and I think Richie wanted to jump in on the conversation before that break. Hey, guys, yeah, you know, just sit back and listen in, and it's fun to listen to, you know, you guys chop it up and just trying to get my opinions together here before I say anything. But you know, like I had said earlier, you know, I question the theory, the thought of how this is going on in the SEC, and this isn't the first game, and this won't be the last game that we're going to wonder what's going on in the SEC officiating world. Uh, but there were very little bit of answers given this morning, very little bit of apologies. And if you give an apology, who really wants it? I don't want you to admit you're wrong because then I'm going to be even more upset and I don't blame Will Muschamp for lighting these guys up. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I am a Gamecock fan, but I'm also a fan of the game of football, if that makes sense. I have an ability to sit back on a Sunday or Saturday or Friday night on, on the radio and even call the game for Somerville and, and call it is what it is. And I've had parents come up to me even after a Friday night, and I say, look, I see what I see, and I'm going to call it the way I see it, and that's just the way it works. So it's for me to sit back after doing this for so many years and not think the SEC doesn't have a game plan here, I think it would be foolish on my part because they want two teams in. What conference doesn't? And they are going to ride the whole SEC chant that you've heard for so many years. The problem that the SEC has now are two different fronts. Number one, everybody else's facilities are catching up to the SEC and they're getting better. So it's easier for these guys to not only recruit at the high level, but some of the low levels. Look at the excitement last night at Vanderbilt. I mean, this guy, he brings back everything of you guys coaching what it's all about. I mean, he hadn't won in a while, forgets kind of a little bit of what it's like and gets that taste in his mouth. And that interview he had, I hope they replay it for any team that's struggling right now because that's why you do what you do Monday through Thursday so that on Friday nights, if that's your time, or Saturday or even Sunday, you get to have that experience, guys. When it comes down to Alabama, they're not the same. This is a team that we're riding on their, their title town reputation. I'm not impressed. That's why they're at number four. I don't know if they've played any better or any worse teams than Clemson, but that's about the even. So I could go five and four with either one of these two teams. But now I think this morning I read two had surgery on his ankle or on, on his situation. Remember last year? Mm. It, it didn't go so well. His recovery is not very good. He doesn't know how – he doesn't bounce back as quick as some quarterbacks have in the past. And that draws up a lot of red flags, a lot of concerns for the SEC and definitely for everybody who's all about this pro-Alabama lifestyle. You know, again – they needed Florida to win yesterday. They needed Georgia to win yesterday. And, of course, you need to see LSU and Auburn kind of do what they do. But, uh, you know, I wish the best of luck. But this quarterback at, at LSU, like we said earlier, guys, he, he is the real deal. I mean, usually these quarterbacks, I think, was it Flynn? There was a quarterback years ago where somebody was yep. there and they made him a wide receiver in the NFL. So they don't go, they don't go in the league as quarterbacks. They go everywhere else. But this kid here, I, I think, honestly, is going to do something that, that LSU's never really seen in the past, and I know they've had a few big names up there, but uh, I think he's going to definitely uh, wake up a few more people along the way. 
We got about 10 minutes left. I wanted to mention one thing about the officiating, and then I wanted to get into another topic that, that Coach, uh, Coach, I know you'll be passionate about. Um, Coach, on the on the officiating, do you think that that one of the problems is that we, we're still not paying the officials? Uh, these guys are still part-time employees. I mean, these guys are, mm. you know, after taxes and expenses, I mean, they're making about 15 grand a year. So, you know, with with making that kind of money um and having to pay your own expenses and and the travel that's involved with it and not to mention the 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 heat that these guys take with the social media since social media is so prevalent now i guess it it could be that it's just hard to get the the better officials the better guys that would be great officials because they're not going to tolerate it for that kind of money is it something that, that needs to be looked at as possibly bringing these guys in as full-time employees? Uh, I absolutely uh, agree. I agree with that a thousand percent. When you look at a major college staff, okay, you're talking about 80 to 100 hour work weeks. Most of that's spent in the film room, studying film, um, you know, looking at things. When I do broadcast with people now, whether it's local ball games, whatever, all-star games and things, you know, a lot of times they'll come, well, how did you see that? What do you see there? Well, I've been watching football, watching video in, in the film room that started out as a kid, you know, freaking early 20s as a GA at South Carolina and the tight ends coach, and it's gone from there through my 50s. And we do that 80 to 100 hours a week, including with your players and all that. Those referees maybe get a fraction of that, maybe five or six hours a week if they're lucky to look at the teams they're going to be preparing for. Uh, they're doctors, they're lawyers, uh, you know, they, they come from a ride, variety, and they're, the one big thing is they're really good human beings. But they have their marching orders on what they emphasize, what they don't emphasize. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Let's make them full time employees. Hey, the SEC's got plenty of money, the Big Ten, all, let's pay them six figures. And their only job to referee, and, and and give them the preparation they need through film study and facilities to get them where they need to be. I mean, you know, send them down to wherever they're going to be playing. Spend half the week watching the team, one team practice, and the other half the week watching the other team prepare, so they know their style, they know what they're going into, they know their formations, their blocking styles, and hand placements. I think it's an incredible idea and one that I've supported for a long time, Jim. It would make a Tremendous difference on Saturday, and it's more fair to those officials than men doing that thankless job. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that that's really, you know, one of the one of the things that has, you know, made me start thinking about why, you know, why is why is this happening? Why why are we seeing this in the officiating? And I can only think that, you know, it's it's because these guys aren't getting paid. I mean, they're you know making fifteen grand a year and and having to put up with some of the stuff that. They're having to put up with well, you know, I don't, I don't see any reason, you know, why that, uh, why they would want to do that. I, I wouldn't want to do it for that kind of money. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on because we got about eight minutes left on this show, Coach, is last night uh, you and I were watching it when this happened. Jaron Tomlin fumbles into the end zone, uh, mm. comes off the field. Jeremy Pruitt uh, tugs on his face mask a little bit, and. Uh, and that was it. You know, he'd bring him over there. I'm sure he berated him verbally on the sideline. But uh, I was one of the one of the reporters, uh, a, a national reporter. I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, tweeted today that the the video of that happening and said, "I know you're not. I know you're mad at Jeremy Pruitt, but don't do that." 
And my response to him was, he did nothing wrong. That mentality that you're using there is why players are soft today, and it's why we have a transfer portal, because these kids aren't tough. These kids, you know, we, we baby these kids and, and play, play to their microwave, you know, mentality of wanting things now. And, and I think the, the fact that someone prominent in the media is saying that this is a bad thing that he tugged on his play. Co- coach, I can remember in high school getting punched in the face mask by my coach. You know, I mean, yeah. I didn't turn out bad. I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't go home and tell my dad. I mean, you know, it, it was part of the game. And I just don't think that, that, that we can blast Jeremy Pruitt because he's going to get blasted for this for tugging on the kid's uh, face mask. Well, I, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm not coaching right now. And that, I didn't get in trouble for hitting anybody, just so everybody out there listening. Uh, that didn't happen. But, and, and, and Jim, you've known me a long time. You know my my record and, and what I was known for was turning programs around that they thought were impossible to turn around. But the main way you do it is mental toughness. Everybody's got talent. But, we, you know, with the kids that can execute when the heat's on, when you have an adversary, the ones that are going to be successful. And it's kind of funny. That's kind of how life is. You know, when you're uh, – we're raising these guys. When you get them, you're like a father figure to them if you're a good coach, okay? And, uh, you know, you have to punish your kids every day if you're doing a good job as a parent because if you don't, later on down the road, the police or some other situation will punish them because there's going to be consequences for what you do in life. And it's what, what Garantano had there – and Coach Pruitt had, they had a coachable moment. He needs to remember for the rest of his life, hey, I didn't execute in a critical moment in a big football game, and I was held accountable. That's all that you take away from it. But blowing it up and he's abusing that kid is, is nothing. That's what's wrong with our country today. We're not making men out of these guys. We're not helping them into adulthood. If anything, like you said, we're handicapping them by, by pandering to them. Yeah, I, we certainly are. Well, we got about we got about three and a half minutes left. Either one of you guys got anything you want to throw in as a uh, final nail in the coffin here? Well, guys, I'm going to say this, Coach, and I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm glad you you said that because I say this to the kids at Somerville High School and any other high school I get a chance to talk to their athletes. The difference between who they are now and who we are now is night and day because of the fact that accountability was not something, you know, every lesson I learned on a football field or even a baseball field, it got me through my 41 years of walking and talking on this earth. You know, iron sharpens iron, right? And when you sharpen iron, and this is Dabo Sweeney's language right here. He said this this past week. There's going to be some sparks that fly. It happens. It's part of the game. (laughs) And some of my best coaches, some of my – I couldn't stand them when they coached me, but I love them here at 41 years old today. Got in my face and had more spit on my face than they did in their mouth, and I appreciate it now more than ever because, again, their job is to teach these kids to be grown men. Well, the system, it's not the coaches, and I'm tired of coaches getting blamed for this, it's not the coaches that aren't coaching them. It's the system that won't let them coach them. Again, we can't make we, – we, it's, a, it's a collision sport. And I said this earlier in hour one. It's a collision sport on Friday night. Why are they not allowed to collide Monday through Thursday to prepare their body for what they're getting ready to feel on Friday night? And then they get hurt on Friday night, and we want to know why. Well, there you go. You're not preparing them for what's going to be. And, again, that's the same in life. Again, the life lessons you learn on a field, whether it be a baseball field, a basketball court, or a football Build, are things that you're going to take through you in life, and those are the successful people down the road, coaches. Good stuff, I, I Richie. Think that's a great oh, coach. point. That's a great point. 
Coach Willis, I appreciate you coming out and joining us tonight. Richie, uh, appreciate you being here with us uh, through the Sunday Drive and, and the Southern Pixie Report. I uh, look forward to doing it uh, next week. We will be back uh, next Sunday um, for another uh, full hour of high school sports and then another half hour for college sports next week. Appreciate you guys being on. Thanks, Thanks. Yeah. What is-